Good morning. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, well, it's so encouraging to hear that report from the DR trip and uh, what a blessing it is to go and minister to people all across the world. I want to repeat what John said today. We have a new connections class up in room 305. And if you're here today and you want to just learn more about North Park, uh, it's a great chance to come and, and learn about what we're about and why we do what we do. So, and also if you're interested in membership at any point, it's a great place too to connect and learn more about us. So every once in a while as a pastor, something happens during the week that, that causes you to struggle to preach the sermon you planned on preaching. A family that I'm really close to, not from North Park, is going through something excruciatingly difficult. And uh, as I was studying this week, trying to preach on the parable of, of uh, the yeast, I just found myself at a loss. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I go through really difficult times, what I do is I head to the Scriptures. And immediately I headed to Psalm 42. And it was my prayer. And every day I was uh, raking up and reading it. As I did that, I just thought, this is what I need to preach. My mind can't go on anything else. And so I called up the elders and a few of the elders that are on the sermon prep team. And I said, hey, what do you guys think if I scrap the sermon and do something else? And they They gave me permission, which is good. But really, when hard times come, sometimes it's it's really difficult to take our mind and put on anything else. And it just it 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 is something that, that causes us to continue to think about. One of the things we need to do in those moments, in those hard moments, is to speak truth to ourselves. This last weekend, we went to the men's retreat, so me and I think 18 other guys were up at Lake Ann Camp, and one of the messages was about putting on the full armor of God from Ephesians 6, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And one of those elements in the armor is the belt of truth. At the retreat, we talked about some ways the enemy tries to attack us, bringing up our past bringing up our failures, tempting us to find our identity in our work or our relationships or our stuff instead of in Jesus Christ. As we walk through life, and particularly as we walk through hardships, we need to speak biblical truth into those situations. There are so many voices that are telling us things. Even our eternal dialogue, our internal narrative is telling us lies. So then the question becomes, how do we take the biblical truth that we know to be true and speak that into ourselves? A few weeks ago, we looked at how Satan is a liar and a deceiver. And what he loves to do is he loves to present partial truths, to present things that that we say, oh, that sounds right. But then in reality, that partial truth is a lie. So the question becomes, how do we speak truth to ourselves? When the enemy and the culture are speaking lies loudly, I think Psalm 42 has the answer. Now, this psalm has been called the psalm for the depressed. Derek Kidner titles it Far From Home, which you'll understand in a minute. So what I want to do today first is just read through it, and then we'll walk through it. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan to the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs His love and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Let's pray. God, maybe today there's someone in this room that needs this message. Their soul is downcast. Tears have been their food day and night. They feel surrounded by their enemies. In the midst of that time, they're struggling to see who you are. They're struggling to remember your promises. They're struggling to remember your faithfulness. And we pray that as you open your word today, you will speak clearly to them. And for those of us that might not be in the midst of that difficult moment right now, these truths still remain true for us. That we need to speak your truth into our life louder than the culture, louder than the enemy, louder than our internal dialogue, that we need to continually come week in and week out, gather, allow your word to transform us. We need to day in, day out, open your word, allow it to speak to us and be transformed by it, Lord. Help us to change the way we think through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So the the story, the, the, the psalm, starts as the deer pants for water. Now, if you're like me, the first time you hear that word, your immediate thought is that song from the 90s. I, I grew up in a church that um, when contemporary Christian music started coming, uh, they introduced this, this hymns or this sing book. And I think this was like the first contemporary song we sang, and they sung it like every week. And I may have a little bit of PTSD with the as the deer thing. But my thought of that song was always, my picture was always this deer kind of coming down to the water and it's thirsty and it kind of sits there, almost like Bambi, gently lapping the water. But really the psalmist is writing most likely at a, at a time of exile where, where David and the, the priests had, had, had had to leave Jerusalem and they were running. So more so you're picturing a deer, either a deer that's in the middle of a drought and is, you know, it's not like dogs. Dogs pant all the time. Deer only pant when they're completely parched. And so you picture this deer in the midst of, of this, this time where he has no access to water. Maybe even picture a deer who's being hunted. And he's running away from his life and he just longs for water, but there's no access. He says, that's, that's how my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God. Not the God of my enemies, not the God of the pagans, the living God, the true God. And he says, when can I go and meet with God? Because he's 
unable to go to the temple, unable to return to Jerusalem. When can I go there? Now we have to remember in the Old Testament, God's presence was at the temple of God. Now we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. But the psalmist is longing to return to that presence of God, to go and be with God. And so the psalmist presents this pattern. See, first here's this situation. And then after the situation, there's these lies that come in. And so then because of the lies of the situation, the psalmist speaks truth to himself and acts. So what was the situation? Well, he's longing to be with God. He's unable to return to the temple. But not only that, he's suffering from depression. Read, read this next verse. My tears have been my food day and night. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where life is so hard that you can't even eat. I've walked through depression with a number of friends where they lost so much weight because the weight of what they were going through was so much that even the thought of eating was too difficult. And so, so the tears became their food day and night. They, they couldn't even eat because of how distraught they were. Now, when you find yourself in that situation, that's exactly when Satan wants to capitalize. It's exactly when he wants to jump in. And oftentimes he, he uses other people. Listen to the psalmist. He says, while people say to me all day long, where's your God? As he was so distraught, the voices were coming out. If God was good, why would he allow you to go through that? If God was powerful, why wouldn't he intervene? Where is your God? You believe in this great God, and yet you're here on the run. You're you're, you're unable to return to the temple. See, Satan wants to to use these things. Remember the Garden of Eden, what what Satan did in Genesis 3? He said, did God really say? That's what Satan often does. He takes the truth that we know about God, the promises we know about Scripture. He says, those aren't real. Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat the fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Satan counters and he says this. You will certainly you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there was some truth to that. They hadn't experienced evil. They hadn't known evil. They hadn't known sin. And by eating of that fruit, they experienced evil and sin. But Satan twisted it in a way to say, this is actually good when it was bad. Satan is the father of lies. And so he uses situations in our life to bring doubt. Is God really there? People say, where is your God? So there's the situation. The psalmist is depressed. His tears are his food. The lies of the enemy are surrounding them. So how does he combat his eternal emotions and his external attacks? He remembers God's promises and God's faithfulness. He says in verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. That phrase, I pour out my soul, could be translated as I'm heartbroken. Maybe you've been there. Heartbroken by what's happening. 
And so what does he do? He remembers the sweetness of worshiping the Lord in his temple. The joy of praising God with his people. The joy of the festivals as people came from far and wide to Jerusalem and would worship Yahweh as they would celebrate what Yahweh had done in Egypt, bringing them out of Egypt. The joy of the sacrifices as they brought the animals in to make sacrifice for their sin, to make them right with God. The joy of coming to the presence of God in the temple. Season aside, why do we gather here on Sundays? You could be doing anything. You could be going out for brunch right now. You could be, I mean, it's a little cold, but you can be going out golfing. We gather because this is important. We don't just gather to come and sing. We don't just come gather to come and, and listen to a sermon. We gather because we are God's people coming collectively to worship God together, to sing praises to Him together, to open His Word together and be changed by it. See, the psalmist longs for that time with the community. He wants to be there again. I saw a pattern uh, during COVID often when... People would say, oh, I'm just going to connect online. And then they'd start every Sunday at, at 930, they'd watch online. And then that, at 930 turned to, well, eventually during the week. And that eventually turned into, well, you know, occasionally I watch a sermon here and there. It's that time where when we walk away from the community, we forget the joy and blessing it is. This is an amazing gift that we have every week to gather together. To give each other hugs and handshakes, to, to worship together, to study together, to be changed by community. And so the psalmist is, is longing for that time. He's remembering the goodness of gathering to worship the Lord. And he responds two ways. First, he remembers God's goodness in those gatherings. And second, he speaks truth to himself. Listen to what he says. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. He talks to himself. <laughs> when we look at the situation, we can easily say why he's downcast. We can look at all the different situations. We can go in our life when we're in the midst of turmoil, and we can look at it, and we can list all the ways, all the reasons why we should be downcast. All the reasons why we should be struggling with depression or anxiety or stress. We can list those things. But the psalmist says to himself, why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Because when he looks at the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the love of God, he said, compared to that, there's no reason for me to be downcast. And so he talks to himself. Phil, why are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God, Phil. Stop it. Put your hope in God. And he says, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. He, he makes this decision. I'm going to speak truth to myself, and now I'm going to speak truth to myself. I'm going to praise God in the midst of it. Because God is my Savior. He's my protector. He's my Redeemer. And so I'm going to choose to speak truth to myself. Now we see a similar pattern in verse 6. Here's the situation. My soul is downcast within me. There's the situation. What does he do? 
Now, the first time he says, I remember the gatherings in the temple. I remember worshiping with the, with the group, with the community. I remember going to God's presence. Here he says, therefore, I will remember you. He says, not only do I remember praising you with this group, I remember you. From the land of Jordan to the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, in all my travels, in all my separation, as I've been unable to return to the temple, I remember you, Lord. And then he uses phrases that are used in Jonah to describe the depths of the sea. He says, deep calls to deep. Next slide. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now the picture here, if you've ever been under a waterfall, a little tiny waterfall, you know, it's kind of like a shower. But if you go under a big waterfall, I mean, if it's a little bit bigger, you just can't handle the pressure of the water. And if it's really big, you don't want to walk under it. It'll do some damage. And then the, the second idea here is the waves and breakers. I don't know if you've ever been, you know, body surfing or surfing in the ocean and, you know, a wave hits you and with the undertow you find yourself tumbling under the water and you can't get to the top and you find yourself like panicking, like trying to swim to the top and you know it's right there and you know it, maybe you could even stand up. You're not even that deep, but you're just trying to get there. That's the situation the psalmist has found themselves in. They are he is overwhelmed. But interesting, in this, he recognizes God's sovereignty. He says, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. He recognizes that God is sovereign even in the midst of this turmoil. That God was going to do something through it. And then he says, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Now this, this phrase here, this love, is, is hesed. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's God's loving kindness, His faithfulness, His covenantal love. God doesn't just love the psalmist. God is directing His love to the psalmist. He's saying, you need this love in this moment. I'm going to direct it right to you. And so he says at night, this song of God's faithfulness, this song of God's love, of his covenantal faithfulness is with me. And so I'm singing God's praises. I'm praying to the God of my life. He's not just this distant God. He's the God of, of my life. So he says, here's the situation. I say to the God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? See, it's okay in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurt, to question God and, and say, God, I don't understand what's going on. But as we see in the Psalms, when we question God, it's always responded by trust. God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't get why you're allowing this, but I see that you're faithful. So he says, why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy. This situation is really difficult. In the midst of the situation, Satan is trying to get in with his lies. Verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taught me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Have you ever been that place where even like physiologically, so much in our body, our emotional health, our, our physical health, our spiritual health, it's all tied together. And so when, when we're being taunted, when other people are saying God isn't there, God isn't real, God doesn't care about you, it, it can even cause your bones to, 
to hurt. And so what does he do with that lie? Because he knows God is there. He knows God is with him. He speaks to himself again. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. While yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. In the midst of all this, he says, I'm going to put my hope in God. I've seen Him be faithful time and time again. I know He's with me. I know He's directing His love to me. And so I'm going to trust Him. In my fourth sermon here at North Park, uh, many years ago now, I, I talked about the concept of core lies, and I want to revisit that today because I think it's really important. Um, when I was 20, I had the best summer any person could ever have. Um, I was uh, working for Cutco, selling knives. I was actually a manager training people how to sell knives. We had the best summer in the history of the Livonia office, and we broke all kinds of records. Uh, I only sold knives for, for te- 20 days, two 10-day periods, and I did so amazing. I sold more knives in those 20 days than I had two summers before in the whole summer. I mean, God really blessed it. At the end of the summer, the best thing that happened in my life so far happened. I married my beautiful wife. It was the best summer ever. And I went away to college thinking, life is awesome. This is going to be easy, right? I got the woman of my dreams. I got the job of my dreams. This is awesome. Well, Went to Philly, my leads drew, uh, went dry, had nobody to sell knives to. And it's really hard to sell knives when you don't have a customer to sell them to. It's, uh, I don't know that. It's, I found the same thing when I sold cars. If there's nobody there, it's really hard to sell a car dome. And so I started to struggle. And, uh, you know, I came in, everybody's like, wow, that guy sold more than $50,000 worth of knives. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I got a plaque and everything. And then I was horrible, like worse than the office. It was hard. And uh, I thought I was going to do well in school because my wife was there. And I thought she'd say, like, do your homework. And I'd be like, okay, and I'd do my homework. Um, but I still struggled. ADD and everything else, I really struggled to do homework. And uh, so I, I started to, to fail at work. And I started to fail at school. So then I, I dropped out of school when I worked at a car dealership for six months. And that went well until it got to be winter and there was no one there outside and I couldn't afford to live off of that, so I failed at selling cars. Then a guy at the church I was going to offered me a job as a carpenter's apprentice. I'll let that settle in for a little bit for you guys that know me well. Uh, I'm allergic to pine. Do you know what they make everything out of in construction? Yeah. That was not good. I was sick all the time. I, I mean, I was bad. I would put up shelves and they'd fall over. They had to fit. It was bad. It was bad. I lasted six months. And then I got a job at McDonald's as a manager. But by that point, we were in such a bad financial spot that we were getting phone calls from, from uh, collection agencies while I was at work at McDonald's. We were not in a good spot. I had failed out of college. I had failed in my jobs. We had failed financially. Not only that, uh, my wife had started working at a job that was really stressful, and she came home really stressed. And so with that and a whole bunch of other things, um, I just disengaged as a husband. I just put my head down. I was a part-time youth pastor, full-time manager at McDonald's, and I just worked my tail off and ignored my marriage. And my marriage, I realized my marriage was a failure. 
And for a while there, it was youth ministry was going great, so it wasn't that big of a deal because I had something I was good at. And we had grown the youth ministry from, from four, five kids to over 40 kids. Things were thriving. But then something happened, and there was conflict in the youth group. And all of a sudden, I felt like, oh, I'm a failure at youth group. I'm a failure at my marriage. I'm a failure as a student. I'm a failure as a worker. I'm a failure as a youth pastor. I'm a failure. And that cascading emotions led me to a really dark place. I was wrecked. And depression is the only way to describe it. Every day when I wake up, I drive to work and, and I knew I couldn't commit suicide because I knew what it would do to Sandy. I knew it would do to the teens. I knew what it would do to my parents. But I would just drive hoping someone would cross the line. I was just at the end of my rope. I felt like I had no hope. And I remember crying out to the Lord and saying, I can't do this anymore. And it was <laughs> if God said, I, I didn't ask you to. God met me in my lowest moment. And made me realize that all that time I'd been trying to do everything on my own and I'd been finding my identity in everything but Him. And God slowly started to restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. And it was a journey. But in the midst of that time, as I started to heal, we moved back to Michigan and God really healed our marriage and God restored me and God restored Sandy and I together and and I was in college, and I heard a les- lesson from one of my uh, youth ministry professors, and, and he introduced me to, to the idea of core lies. Now, before that, I introduced you guys to this about six years ago, so some of you might remember it, but uh, we're going to remind you of it again, just because I think it's really important, um, and I think it's something that we should repeat every couple of years. But in the midst of that time, uh, what I had allowed to happen is the the lies of the enemy were so loud that I couldn't hear God's voice. I couldn't hear God's promises. I couldn't see what God was doing in the middle of it. And so as I started to process these things, I had to recognize first that that God loved me. Now, that's a simple truth. It's something we learn very early in our lives. When we're kids, you know, we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That might be the most important truth that you ever know. And we know it. But when we go through hardship, we, we, we lose sight of God's hesed, His covenantal love, His divine love that He directs toward us. And so what I had to learn during that time is I had to pour out the lies And replace them with the truth. Now every time I did this, something happened. Now you'll see the color is still pretty similar. It's still pretty dark. But it's getting a little lighter. God's truth was starting to penetrate my hard heart. And then part of the thing that I was struggling with in that time is I felt like, really, I'm really insignificant. There's nothing I can do. I'm just a guy who's unimportant and... I really struggle with, does God have a purpose in my life? And what God started to show me was that I was significant, not because of anything I had, not because of anything I did, but because of who he was and because of how he loved me. And my significance was not found in what I did 
of whether I was a good salesman or a bad salesman and whether I was a good youth pastor or a bad youth pastor, my significance was found in the fact that I was a child of God. I was adopted by him. And that was the next truth I needed to find. I needed to pour out the lies of God and find out that my identity was not in what I did, but was in who I was. That I was a child of God. I was adopted by God with a purpose. And that he loved me. And he was pursuing me. And so my identity was found in him. And then I also struggled with, you know, someone with ADD and awkward kid, receding hairline, all that kind of stuff. I just really struggled. Why, God, why didn't you make me like one of those other people? Those other people, they sit down and they, they go, I want to do homework. And they go, boom, and they do it. It was so foreign to me. I sat down. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do homework. What's this girl? What's going on? What's, I don't know what's going on. Is there a TV game on? Is there a Michigan game on? What was the score of last? And I'm like, and I'm like focus. And I really struggled. And so I started, God, why did you make me this way? Why did you not make me like someone else? But I had to remember that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I was created in God's image to accomplish his purposes. Now you see, the, the darkness is not completely gone, but it's getting clear. And lastly, I had to recognize that even in the midst of all my hardship, that God had a purpose for my life. Ephesians 2.10, I was created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which you prepared in advance for me to do. Now, what you'll see in this is that it's, it's not clear. It's still a little dark. And what I found was that the more and more I spoke truth into my life, the more that truth overcame the lies. The way my professor talked about it is the volume on a computer. You know that volume, you turn it up, those bars go up. And so what I had done is I had the volume of the lies turned up on 10, and the volume on the truth was on 1. And so what I had to do in my life was to turn the volume of the lies way down by speaking the truth into those lies, by looking at God's promises, by looking at His truth, by finding my identity in Him. I turned up the volume of God's truth and turned down the volume of Satan's lies. One of the examples he used in class was how he was a middle school volleyball uh, coach. And at the beginning of the season, he'd start the kids, you know, here. And they say, I can't serve it over the net. That's too far. And so he'd move them closer to the net. And he'd say, serve it over five times. Once you get over five times, start to practice. And he had to take a step back each week until eventually they were all the way at the line where you had to serve it in the game. But once he got there, they had to hit over five times. He had to go back again and back again. So now they were way past the line and they were serving it over net. So when the time came for the game, they had so much confidence that it was easy to hit it over the net. They experienced the truth and that truth changed the way they thought. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Romans 12:2. It says do not conform to the patterns of this world. That's an important thing to do. We need to set ourselves apart from the world. We need, we need to put boundaries and say, I don't want to, I don't want to live that way. But, but the key here is, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do we know what God's will is for our life? People ask me that question all the time. How do you know God's will for your life? Well, be transformed 
By changing the way you think. How do we do that? By knowing God's Word. By being changed by God's Word. This isn't behavior modification. It's just allowing God's Word to change the way we, we think. It's allowing God's Word to speak into our life. Dr. Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones has this quote. I think I have it on there. It might not be in order here, but he says, The key to avoiding depression is to spend more time talking to yourself than listening to yourself. I like that. Because what I allowed during that season was this inner dialogue to continue to repeat lies. And what I needed to do was to speak to myself. I needed to take the truth of God's Word and speak it into my own life and allow that truth to speak louder. Now, Psalm 42 isn't the only place we see this in the Scriptures. In Lamentations 3, Jeremiah says this. This is the situation. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. And I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them as my soul is downcast within me. Everything's gone wrong. I'm I'm struggling. I'm afflicted. I'm experiencing bitterness and gall. So what does he do with it? He says, yet... This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He says, in the midst of this hardship, I'm going to remember who God is. I'm going to speak truth to that situation. And here's the truth. Because of the Lord's great love, because of the Lord's hesed, His divine love, His His covenantal faithfulness, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so he reminds himself and even says it this way. He says, I say to myself, next verse, I say to myself, I speak truth to myself. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him and the one who seeks him. He says, I have to say this truth to myself because if I don't, I'm going to forget it. I speak the truth to myself. 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul talks about taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. So that means when we feel overwhelmed or, or stressed or anxious or worried or fearful or depressed or in despair, what do we need? We need to talk to ourselves. We need to speak the gospel to ourselves. Like the psalmist in Psalm 42, like Jeremiah and Lamentations, we need to point ourselves to the hope that can only be found in Christ. Psalm 100 says, The Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. We need to remind ourselves of that truth. And even when life feels so awful, that we can believe and know that God is good and that He does good. Maybe you're saying to yourself, I, I don't get this. I look around and, and I see all these other talented people and I'm not smart enough or pretty enough or athletic enough or, or rich enough or, or any of those categories the, the world wants to put on you. But the reality is that God created each of you uniquely with a purpose. See, our, all in our culture, it's all about identity. 
You know, everybody talks about their identity. Our identity is not found in our sexuality. It's not found in our gender. It's not found in our vocation. It's not found in our intelligence. As believers in Christ, our identity is only found in Jesus Christ. He is the one that saved us and redeemed us. He's the one that has given us a purpose. He's the one that created us. And He didn't just create us willy-nilly. He created us with a purpose. To do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. So the next time Satan is threatening you, the next time he's tempting you to despair... Speak God's truth. And one last point. When you're in the moment of depression or anguish, look to Jesus. As your tears are your food day and night, remember that Jesus was so distraught at Gethsemane that He was sweating blood. As your foes taunt you, saying, where is your God? Remember that Jesus walked down the road as people hurled insults at Him. As He hung on the cross... People mocked him and said, come down from there. As you feel desperate, longing for a drink of water, remember Jesus hung on the cross and was thirsty. As you feel like you have no breath, remember that Christ was hanging on the cross and even to exhale, he had to push with all of his might on the the nails in his wrists and on his feet just to exhale to be able to breathe. So difficult that he only lasted just a few hours on the cross before he suffocated because he had no strength left to push up, to exhale. As your bones suffer mortal agony, remember that Jesus was flogged and beaten to the point where he couldn't even carry his own cross. As you feel desperate, remember that he experienced the same thing the psalmist said. My God, why have you forgotten me? Jesus cried on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he experienced the weight of all of our sin and our shame poured out on him on the cross. When we go through suffering, we don't serve a God who is distant, but one who willingly went through the most excruciating pain to pay the penalty for us. So that we could have life. The one who came to die to give us a hope and a future. The one who came to pay the punishment for our sins so we don't have to pay it. So when we're in the midst of the anguish, we can say, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And we can look at Christ and what He did. We can say, I will yet praise Him, my Savior, and my God. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And so often we get so overwhelmed by our circumstances that we can't see you. We can't hear you. Tears are food day and night. And in the midst of that, we, we forget what it's like to be in your presence. And Lord, maybe there's some people here today that were in that same spot that I was in. Maybe they're there now. And they need your goodness. Lord, help them to see they can find it at the cross. The Scriptures say that if they confess their sins, you are faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse them all of unrighteousness. 
that if they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, they will be saved. Lord, help us all to remember that salvation each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen.